We're continuing our study through 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul's letter to Corinthian Church, and we're on chapter 9 and the last paragraph. The title of the message is Run the Race to Win. I don't know how many of you guys really like running. Uh, I, I think we have several runners in our church. They run for fun. Very strange concept to me. And one of them is David Lee and I. We do lunch from time to time. And out of curiosity, I asked David, why do you run? And David goes, Paul, it took me several years to get physically fit. But now when I run, I get high. I'm so happy. And I, I said, I was thinking to myself, when I run, I get tired. Whenever I have urge to run, I slide down and it goes away. <laughs> Apostle Paul was very familiar with Isthmian Games. It's the second to Olympic Games, most popular, most well-known, in that narrow four miles of Isthmus, where Corinth, city of Corinth, is still. The Isthmian Games happened every other year, biannual event. So culturally, when uh, someone talks about athletes and running and boxing, they were so familiar with that. And Apostle Paul takes this example as an illustration of his example Again, But I think we need to do a little bit of a recap of what's been going on in chapter 9. Chapter 9 overall, we could sum it up as Paul's threefold surrender for the sake of the gospel. Gladly giving up his three rights. And we studied on two of them already. Verse 1 through 18 is surrender of his financial rights, compensation, to be blunt, money. He gave up his right for money. He took so many paragraphs to build up to say that authority as an apostle, he has right to receive financial support. Not only for himself, but he, if he travels in his entire family, like other apostles did travel with their wives. But last week, I didn't mention why he chose to surrender, voluntarily surrender. Having proved his right, and he said, not that I'm going to insist on it, but the, my reward is that my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul didn't do this every single time. In Corinth, specifically, he did that. In Philippi, there were times that, if you read through chapter 4 of Philippians' letter, he talks about, I'm so glad you rekindled your interest in supporting me. And then he's saying, not that I am in the need, because I learned to be content in whatever circumstances, in poverty and in wealth. But he was so grateful for their voluntary desire to care for financial needs for Apostle Paul. So he didn't have any problem with that. In Corinth, the problem was there were so many traveling teachers philosophy, rhetorics. And in town, what they are doing is basically charging people. The more they are well-known, the more higher the fee would be. So everyone was so accustomed to know that these itinerary teachers and philosophers and, and even religious leaders come and they held a gathering. It's just basically... It's assumed that they will charge if you're coming. 
So Paul is coming into the town as apostle and sharing the gospel. This, it was his voluntary decision. He didn't want this gospel of Jesus Christ, precious gospel of Jesus Christ, to be equated as those philosophers teaching. So in order for him to get rid of potential obstacle for them, he decided not to charge at all. And he actually made a tent and supported himself along with Barnabas. So nowadays we call it a tent-making ministry. That means those people have a job to support financially. But think about this idea of, and to be honest with you, the most stumbling block for a lot of non-Christians is a religious leaders, televangelists, the megachurch pastors being greedy for money. They're millionaires and billionaires. And on top of that, uh, health and wealth, prosperity gospel, they shamelessly ask for that as a pastor, as a one who follows the Prince of Kings, we ought to be wealthy. And I should be example of that blessings, practical blessings. And not to mention fancy cars, all kinds of bling-blings, their private jets. What would Apostle Paul do when he has a, that much of following? Could you already sense that? So it was the first surrender, his financial right. And second surrender is surrender of his freedom. He was a free man. He was a Roman citizen. He was an intelligent man. He was an educated man. But he gave up his independence. Verse 19 of chapter 9 says, Although I am free from all, I have made myself servant to all that I may that I might win more of them to Christ, more souls to Christ. And he, he lists, although I'm not under the law, I became under the law. Although I am not a Gentile, I became like Gentile. Although I'm not weak, I became like the weak. And hence, he quotes those things to clarify the reason why he didn't eat the meat offered to idols. Because some, some weak brothers and sisters, their conscience were violated. He chose not to do that. Why? For all, all for the sake of the gospel. And last week, it was not only you, but for me as well. Very uncomfortable message. One of the most uncomfortable passages that we sit in. Because of Paul's example. We really ought to think about this. In our materialistic, uh, entertaining driven, entertainment driven society, the self absorbed society. What does gospel mean to us? How much does it mean to us? What does it mean to live in God centered life? God's passion for the lost. God's passion for God's kingdom. Does it excite you? We ought to follow that example. And, and, and I mentioned that it starts with inviting others to hang out with you. And if you saw my email last week, I was really literally high. I wasn't sleepy at all, and I wasn't complaining about 8 o'clock counseling appointment. I was so wide awake because the picnic was a picture of loving our neighbor. All these months, I've been trying to figure it out. Have you seen those people? We had most non-Christians in that picnic. Most diverse people from Saudi Arabia, France, and he's actually from Africa originally, from, from Korea, from uh, 
some Filipinos surrendering his freedom, unlike typical Americans insisting our own rights. He actually surrendered that to become a servant, to win more to Christ. And today, the last paragraph, verse 24 to 27, is actually about giving up his physical comfort, physical softness. This is one of those things that it is not sin. As much as when you know David runs or when some of you guys run, I lie down and it goes away, the desire to run, it is not really sin. But for the sake of gospel, for the prize, Paul is surrendering his right to be physically comfortable. And oftentimes, you hear the words, a spiritual discipline, and especially the, the our, like a, our generation likes these new things, or Lexio Divinas, or, or silence. It sounds so cool, and it becomes all about, oh, it's really the spiritual discipline. One of the misconceptions is spiritual discipline is physical discipline for the for the sake of spirituality. We surrender our bodies, which means getting up early in the morning is a physical discipline. But we don't do that for our body, our fitness reasons, for the sake of the spiritual life that God calls us to. So today, I want to zoom through this the passage really quick. Um, but I would really urge you to think about and meditate on this all throughout the week. The question that we're asking is today is, why is self-discipline or self-control an essential component, component in the Christian life? It's kind of oxymoron question if you really read through the Bible, and that should be obvious. But because of our culture, discipline is a bad, dirty word. So we ought to ask this question. What is a normal Christian life? Us included, and we're not pointing to others. If you look at Facebook on Sunday, and people go to church, and the post is about what kind of food they're going to eat, or we're going to eat. And Christian life is come to the gathering where Christians gather together and seek for fun things to do, or good food to eat. So comfortable. And then we say, spiritual intensity is a must in our culture. And there is a allergic response. In the beginning, rightly so. Because there's a, some uh, objective, not, not so much of objective because of my intensity going in, and, and analness. I could admit that. But it is our way of doing it. So let's get this principle very clearly today. Self-discipline and self-control is not an option in Christian race. If you're going to be authentic, real, true Jesus follower, you need to embrace that. Number one, self-discipline is essential because we are to run as the one who wins the prize. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Before we unpack the meaning of what, is, what does it mean, we need to talk about what it, what it does not mean. Because we take it as, oh, Christian life must be some kind of a competition. And if there is only one winner in the race, that means one person gets the special prize. So now I'm, I, I need to compete with my brothers and sisters. 
Not at all. Do you remember the several passages? Hebrews 12, Hebrews 13, um, one another passages. Picking up your brothers, encouraging your brothers as long as it is called today. So in other words, the, the picture of running in Christian race, if your brothers run behind or falls down, you are to stop and pick him up. It means, what does it mean then? The question is simply, in Paul's context, he doesn't even have a clue that this will be misunderstood. But for us, as, as soon as we get the right picture, Christian life is not a competition. There isn't one winner. We are all to be encouraged to be the winner of that. And what does it mean? It means run like the one who wins the prize. How does the winner, first place person, run? With all his might, all her might. Especially the you know, exciting, really uh, dynamic relay race. And that second or third place is catching up at the very end. And one, at the final push, that person becomes the first place rather than third or fourth place. Incredible. Run like that. And we need to hear that and let it sink in our hearts. So we like comfortable things. And spiritually, indolence is somewhat very subtle. So you really, when you're really spiritually lazy and apathetic, it doesn't show others as long as you do surface things have you ever thought thought of this question am I right am I right now running the Christian race like the one who wins the prize or am I jogging around getting distracted to the vendors Stopping by and drinking. <laughs> Robert, I didn't ask for Robert's illustration, but it's perfect. <laughs> what not to do? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it matters how we live each day. One of the most difficult things because of heresy, spiritual heresy of legalism or, or salvation by faith and plus something, when grace is emphasized so much, it, it becomes like this. Grace opposes activity. So I must stop doing things. No. Now, Dallas Willard is right. Grace doesn't oppose activity, actually encourages activity. Grace opposes earning the right. So if you, if you really embrace the grace that should give us energy to run with all our might, and in our culture, talking about grace and love of God, everybody's lying down. And ought not to be. Paul is describing this not for special class, and not for even preachers only, or pastors only, or missionaries only, but every Christ follower. He's setting this example. Don't you know, everyone, brothers and sisters, There are many runners, but one, only one person wins the prize. 
So run like the person who wins the prize with all your might today, coming week. Why is self-discipline essential? Number two, of Paul's example before we go into number two. His own life in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Sense this healthy tension that he creates. He's not leaning toward to legalism. He's not leaning toward to cheap grace. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. He already talked about resurrection. Participating in resurrection. Or I am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. So if we do not have this mentality of running for the goal and prize, we're not living most effective, fruitful Christian life that God calls us to live. And that's probably the most difficult thing to hear in our generation. Anything that is, becomes a con- inconvenient for us. Californians, even more so. Chill out, dude. Number two reason why self-discipline is impo- important, essential. It is essential because we are to train ourselves in running for the imperishable reward. Verse 1, he was, um, well, actually, uh, verse 25, ESB reads it this way. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. NIV calls it everyone, every athlete is in strict training. And both are good translation. Well, the idea is, that, what does it mean continually be in self-control? A voluntary surrender of your rights. Do you have friends like that? Who not only run for fun, but do all kinds of things for physical pain for fun? I have a friend who used to do triathlon she just finished and posted on Facebook, Ironman. She's a mom of two kids. And I'm, my jaw dropped. Ironman is like a uh, triathlon and you know, hyper drive. Like in a way that is incredible. They will be running and, and ride, bike riding and swimming for close to 12 hours all day long. Some people don't make it. Some people fall, fall down. Some people are cramps and they can't go anymore. Some people throw up. But they do it. So when I follow, if I, if I didn't know about what, what preceded prior to this, I probably thought that, oh, she must be some, someone very, very special. She is very fit. But several months of prep and training, training schedules, and running and swimming and biking, and a little bit in between times, and getting ready for that. And she did many, uh, several uh, tri- I mean, triathlons before. So her goal is, I want to become one of the persons finishes Ironman. The training aspect. Christian life is like a marathon. If I ask you 
to how many of you can finish marathon right now? Let's go out there and run the marathon right now without no training, no prep whatsoever. I bet, starting with me, not many of them will be able to finish. For those of you who regularly run and physically really fit might be able to finish, but without training, that will not be your best time. Am I right? But we try to live Christian life that way. Even the word try gives us the idea is that there is no intentionality or training. Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 to 8, he writes, Train yourself for godliness. Don't try to live for godliness. But while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So when you think about self-control and self-discipline in your life, let's not think about this as a healthy issue only. But really, the spiritual discipline issue, godliness issue, that we are called to train ourselves. So several things we emphasize. I mean, to a point that uh, it might sound too forceful for some of you. And quiet time training and quiet time sharing and we share quiet time this for everyone in the church. And we often say, in the beginning of your quiet time, you really need extra help. When the rocket you know, launches off, the first few seconds of it needs most energy. So for two weeks, let's go into training mode. Would you train with me, like the marathoners, like the triathlon people? Let's train every day. Let's call each other. Share our quiet time. And the mentality for a typical person, that's too, oh, that's too crowded. That's stuffy for me. But we don't do that when we do some kind of exercise. I swim, morning swim every day, every day for weekdays, five days a week usually. Frank Riley was my swim buddy who used to swim with me, and he challenges me constantly. I know in some sense you do that too. The training aspect has to be voluntary surrender. We cannot make others train. But you know what? When you are in that training mode, you desperately need others, trainers and coaches, Partners, do you know that when Elgin was my high school student, when I was his youth pastor, my nickname used to be Muscle Man. Now, I'm a fat man now, but do you know that my, my glory days, when I push, even bench press, so there are some guys who are yelling at me, push, don't stop. I'm almost here, right? But in a strange way, when there is a challenge and push and encouragement, and like a drill sergeant, like a spitting at me right here, and there's a breakthrough. Have you experienced that in spiritual life? Why are we so wimpy in spiritual life? Oh, I don't have a quiet time for quiet time. Oh, I'm a I'm a, a night owl. It's hard for me in the morning. I do it in the night. Or oh, nighttime I get sleepy and I get... <laughs> Paul's idea was that his life was in training. But when you think about this, what's the really motivation? For my friend who took a picture of an Iron Man medal... That's 
perishable thing in a few years. I know back in my younger days, I have some gold medals and silver medals. I don't even carry it anymore. I don't know where, it, where they are. Im, imperishable wreath. What would that be? Instead of leaves, you, you remember that the made with the leaves on, on the, like a crown? In the eternity, we will receive the reward that will last forever and ever. And the question that we need to ask is, what is this reward? What is this prize? So we will be motivated clearly. One uh, misunderstanding of this reward is salvation is separate, and then we will get reward like this. As if salvation is not significant enough. This is a wrong view. A lot of healthy uh, health and wealth prosperity gospel has have tendency of doing this, too. On the other side, uh, there are theologians who will say the reward is salvation, and that's it. We will be so in awe of the great salvation we will receive. This will be mind-boggling reward. Yes, I agree. But the way we look at the reward is the salvation is tasted differently. That, I think that's the extra differences in reward. Why the way we run is matters. None other than anybody. C.S. Lewis has this concept so clearly. In the book that I will recommend once again, The Weight of the Glory... He writes, we must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. And there are different kinds of reward. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to desires that ought to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is proper reward for a real lover. And he is not mercenary for desiring it. Those who have obtained everlasting life in the vision of God doubtless know very well that it is no mere bribe but the very consummation of their earthly discipleship. But we have not yet attained it. We who have not yet attained it cannot know this in the same way and it cannot even begin to know at all except by continuing to obey and finding the first reward of our obedience in our increasing power to desire the ultimate Reward. You know what he's saying? If you marry a woman who's so wealthy and you really don't love her and you are, you finish the wedding and you're married and then your actually ultimate goal is the money, the, the wedding and marriage doesn't mean a much a thing. It's not, you, you have an ulterior motive, mercenary motive there. But if you really love her, marriage itself is a great reward. Okay, imagine this. If you really, 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 really desire her and love her or love him, the day you marry him, the day you marry her, then each day the taste of that reward is far sweeter than who has a low desire and low longing. Yes, everyone in, the, in, in this game of race, a Christian race, 
Once you finish it, we will experience great reward. But the way that we will experience in C.S. Lewis's insight, which is very helpful, it's not a separate things that we disregard the great salvation God has given us. It's a mind-boggling thing. But it matters how we run today. Because the way we will please our Father and the, to see that God is pleased in us, that we are in Him, in His pleasures, that will be the reward that Paul is talking about. For that, he didn't mind sufferings, hardships, persecutions. That is, you know, oftentimes people talk about business, people talk about big picture, right? Men and women, brothers and sisters, this is the big picture. In eternity, will you go for this ultimate reward that God has given us, the prize that Paul was after? Or is it nicer home, nicer cars, a nicer status? Temporal things of Orange County in Southern California. If we are too close, we're going to think that this is the end of life. As if this defines us. No, this is a wake-up call for all of us who are bombarded with this lies of the evil one that we need to have more, we need to achieve more. We need to make our kids go to better school. Third reason, self-discipline is essential because we are to live out the Christian life with clear spiritual aim and focus. He now takes the metaphor to himself and, and says, verse 26, I do, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. As Paul applies this principle to himself, first negatively, he's saying, I am not running aimlessly. I'm not shadow boxing. I have a clear focus. Do you? Do you have a spiritual aim? Spiritual focus? Do you know why you do what you do in terms of Christian activities? In the, in the guidance of Scripture, I urge you to think about in our everyday life, do I think about this spiritual aim and spiritual focus? Um, the passage is like this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7-8. through 8. I think the Philippians 3.12 also is very relevant to us, that he is running toward, forgetting what lies behind, and running toward shows a directional aim. And this is the picture as an old man in the dungeon waiting for his death sentence to be carried out. And I want my last words be something like this. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid off for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That means us. 
as well. I want to conclude with fourth a reason, which is utterly important. Self-discipline is essential because we are to discipline our bodies in the healthy tension of God's grace and our self-denial. I, I, I wanted to put obedience, but in light of this passage, self-denial and self-discipline seems to be more fitting. Verse 27, but I, dis, but I discipline my body. This actual, uh, the Greek word, discipline my body, is make my body black and blue. Make a black, black eye. This is figuratively, symbolically, but over the course of history, some people took it as aesthetic principles, and they literally inflicted themselves in the name of spiritual discipline. It's absurd. But Paul is basically saying, I make my body a slave, a servant to me, rather than my body become master to me. Why? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This disciplining body, oh, this is, I felt really convicted as well. Because a lot of times, late night, um, my body calls for something to eat. It's a more emotional eating. And one night I was, Soren was staying up for doing homework late night, and I was looking through the fridge and freezer, and, and then I'm getting something. And Soren's unique way of, Dad, why are you eating? You really sh- shouldn't eat right now. There is no need to eat right now. <laughs> yes, son. <laughs> I am ashamed. <laughs> Let's be mindful. It's not just a personal gain or betterment of health and other thing wise. He is doing this for the sake of the gospel. And for the glory of God, not betterment of our, my, ourselves. And once again, this does not mean mindless, mindless aestheticism, aestheticism, but self-denial that Jesus calls us, all Christ followers, to do. Do, do you realize this? When Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple... Let him deny himself or herself and take up the cross and follow me. This self-discipline and self-control is the same thing. So putting it back to the normal Christian life, chilling out and enjoying life, what God has given us, is not the goal of life. We are to deny our Selfish desires or fleshly desires. Say no to our not only sinful desires, but bodily desires. So rendering our rights and privilege there for the sake of the gospel. For glorify God. Okay, this is the moment that um, it took me a lot all through the week and is struggling and wrestling. Vast majority of commentators define disqualification as a disqualification of from the preaching. I disagree. There are only few commentators I see that. I, I really think that this is a healthy tension when you think about uh, Grace given to us is actually makes us to get up and run. The human responsibility and sovereign grace of God is in the healthy tension. If you lean toward to one way or the other, it will be legalism or cheap grace. And I understand why commentators, and even including me, 
will have a hesitance because prior theological commitment is there. God's salvation is so great, we cannot lose our salvation. Paul is not talking about losing his salvation. Paul is talking about, I might found a sham, a false teacher, or person who act like he's really running the race, but he's not really running the race. And self-delusion is really the key for this. And that's why in 1 Corinthians he says, examine your heart, see if you are in the faith. There are a few passages that I'd like to share. I think it's enough for us to, to look to, through these uh, passages. First passage is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 12, 1 through 2. Notice this assurance as the admonitions are there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also set us, set, uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated right at the right hand of the throne of God. Run this race because Jesus is the author and the finisher, Alpha and Omega of your faith. You are in hands of sovereign God. Amen. Opposing or it's a tension here. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. Did you see the tension? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And lest people might misunderstood. Paul creates the tension again. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then I want to go back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, 12, 12, which is such a, a clear picture, and it's somewhat redundant here, but not that I have already obtained, it, obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I am responsible. I need to run as the one who wins the prize. But there's a tension. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In conclusion, I want to share a couple of things as an application. Are some of you fearful that you might lose your salvation, that you haven't been good in some sense, as spiritual discipline-wise. Listen to the assuring voice of sovereign grace of God. God has made you His own. And I think on the other side, probably the most of us, do you sense Indolence in your spiritual life, apathy in your life, that you really don't have motivation or longing and waiting for that, some kind of a breakthrough. No, we are responsible. We need to train and beat our body to obey the godly purposes 
in Cambridge, when there was a revival, they didn't have a word quiet time. But some of the students wanted to get up really early. But because it's cold, because it's not central heating now, uh, not like our days, there's a 19th century. What they did is they created this uh, blanket with the ropes in a certain time. And they called it a sweep the kick at the moment of when they're waking up. And the mechanism will, when they kick, mechanism will lift up their blankets. And they are so cold they have to wake up. There was revival in that campus. And because of those spiritual leaders gone to everywhere, to with the gospel of Christ, we have heard the gospel as well. Crossway, listen to me. Some, in some sense, it's easier to, to live this kind of spiritual life in the third world country where there's a persecution and hardship. But in some sense, it's much more difficult to live a Christian life with self-discipline and self-control, with spiritual aim and focus and intensity right here in Southern California. Hence the reason why we need to fight the good fight of faith. We're not fighting some people. We're not fighting some entities. We're fighting our own desires, selfish desires, the lies of the evil one. We say no to our self-absorbed desires and wish for comfort only. And spiritually, it's time for us to get up and run to win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this charge to us. For some of us, this is a a bit difficult to receive. But we pray that your Holy Spirit will calm our hearts, will help us to receive fully without any excuse. And I pray that many, many brothers and sisters, including me, will get up with courage and with faith to run with all our might. I pray that that kind of culture will set in in our church. That you will use our church not as a self-righteous or self-promoting church, but humble church who has a, known the power of godliness, not just the form of godliness, Lord. Use us for your glory, we pray. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.